All right, so we're going to skip over chapter 40. We're not going to read through the whole thing today for the sake of time. Uh, but briefly, uh, Joseph is in prison, um, and he's able to interpret the dreams for the cupbearer and the baker. Um, and the cupbearer is returned to his position as the cupbearer of Pharaoh, and the baker ends up being put to death. We'll talk a little bit about, more about that, but we'll start reading at chapter uh, 40, 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. Behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. Behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. The thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted up after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then, Pharaoh said to, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, set him over the land of Egypt." Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain against 
under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah And he gave him in, mar- in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced bountifully, abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put it in every city, the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, what he says to you do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Have you ever had a time in your life where you had a dream that felt really real? Or almost like the distinction between reality and between that dream was kind of blurred. Uh, I remember a few weeks ago I had a dream and I don't remember all the details of the dream and, but I just remember something was happening, I was doing something or another and I remember this very uncomfortable sensation in my head and I'm trying to get this sensation out of my head. I don't remember if it was a noise or a light but this really uncomfortable sensation. And I'm going throughout this dream and it's just bothering me. I can't get rid of this sensation. And then I wake up and realized it was the alarm clock going off. I've had another dream years ago where I was falling from some building or something and then I woke up and I'd fallen out of bed. Sometimes the reality, the distinction between a dream and between reality sometimes get splurred. Uh, You know, or sometimes you might have a, a nightmare and you wake up after that nightmare and Maybe you feel a little bit anxious or fearful, even though you, don't, you know that that nightmare isn't true, it still affects you emotionally. But when we have a dream, we might chalk it up to maybe eating some spicy food late at night or being extra tired, being anxious. 
But in the ancient world, when somebody had a dream, they believed that it was a communication from the gods. And that since it was a communication from the gods, it needed interpretation. It was believed that the gods communicated through dreams, but they weren't responsible for the interpretation. It was up to the individual who had the dream to interpret the dream. And so they had a class of people who uh, were specialized in interpreting dreams. They had dream books that kind of outlined the symbolism that would happen in certain dreams. And so it was important to discern what a dream meant. And so Joseph is in prison, and the Pharaoh's cupbearer and the Pharaoh's baker are thrown into prison. We don't know for sure why they're thrown into prison. Um, Maybe something was done wrong, and Pharaoh didn't know who it was who was responsible, and so he threw both of them in prison. Uh, maybe they just displeased the king. Maybe the baker made some bad bread for, that, for the pharaoh. We don't, we don't know for sure what they did. But they're both in prison, and they both have dreams on the same night. And this was very disturbing to them because they knew it was some kind of a communication from the gods or from God, and they were wondering, what, is, what does this mean? What does this mean about my fate? What is going to happen to me? So it says in the text in chapter 40 that their faces were downcast. And Joseph asked them, why are your faces downcast? And and the cupbearer first shares his dream. And Joseph interprets his dream and says, this dream means that in just a few days you're going to return to your post. You're going to become the cupbearer once again for Pharaoh. But for the baker it wasn't so good. He said in just a few days you're going to be executed. You're going to be hanged. And Joseph tells the cupbearer, he says, when you go back to Pharaoh, don't forget about me. Remember me. Bring my name up for Pharaoh so that maybe I can be brought out of this pit. And remarkably, after the cupbearer goes back to Pharaoh, remarkably, he completely forgets about Joseph. I mean, I find that really strange since, you know, someone told you exactly what was going to happen in your life, interpreted a dream, you'd think that you would remember something like that. But Somehow he forget, forgot. And then two years later, Pharaoh has his own dream, and then Joseph, and then this cupbearer remembers Joseph. And it's interesting that Pharaoh was plagued by these dreams also, because Pharaoh himself likely believed that he was a god himself, that he was divine. That's what people thought in those days, that the Pharaoh was uh, a, a god incarnate. So it's interesting that this Pharaoh would be troubled by a dream. But he's troubled by the appearance of these cows. You know, the first dream is these cows, there's these thin and emaciated cows. Literally, it it says that they were evil in appearance and that these thin cows go and devour these healthy and plump cows. And he says that it's so bad that even after these thin cows devour the hefty cows, that it looks like they're just as bad as when they started. And so he says, I've never, Pharaoh later says, I've never seen such terrible looking cows in all of Egypt. He knew that this wasn't good. He knew that something bad was coming. And so Joseph interprets this dream and he says to Pharaoh, it's not in me. I don't, I don't want any of the credit. I, I'm, it's not like I'm a magician or a magical interpreter. God is the only one who can give me the interpretation of this dream. And so Joseph says what's going to happen. He says there's going to be seven years of plenty and then there's going to be seven years of famine. 
And so he tells Pharaoh, this is what you need to do. You need to appoint an administrator, an administrator who would appoint overseers. And these overseers, that they would take a fifth of the produce during the seven good years so that when the famine comes, they would have something. And Pharaoh, in essence, says, okay, you're going to be that man. You're going to be that administrator. You're going to be the one who prepares us for this famine. And so Joseph is exalted in position to second in command. He's given new clothes. He's allowed to ride in the Pharaoh's chariot. He's given Asenath, uh, the daughter of the prophet of On, one of the highest priestly families in all of Egypt. He's given Asenath as a daughter, as a, as a wife. And through Joseph and through his administration, he's able to save all of Egypt and in response save the rest of the known world during that time, or the rest of that region. So what are some things that we can learn from this passage? It's a little bit extended passage, a little bit longer than we usually look at, but what are some things that we can learn? I think that there's three words that can help us frame how we can apply this passage, these passages to our lives. And today as we look at these things, it's almost like we're going to have three mini-messages. That these things don't necessarily all go together, but there's three different points, three words, I think, that can help us frame this passage. These words are favor, faith, and forgetting. Favor, faith, and forgetting. The first one, favor. We see in Genesis 39, 21, it says, The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. And gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The Lord was with Joseph. We see the outworking of this, these statements throughout this passage. We see the favor of God on Joseph all the way through his imprisonment. Um, and all the way through his time in Egypt. And we see that God equips Joseph with certain gifts. Namely here in this passage, the ability to interpret dreams. But also the ability to administrate. The ability to manage people. The ability to know how to handle things. Remember, Potiphar had so much confidence in Joseph that he said that he didn't worry about anything except for the food that he ate. He had that much confidence in the administrative ability of Joseph. Then when he's put in prison, he's put over all the other prisoners because he had such a Ability, such an administrative ability, and he had favor with people. And then he set all over all of Egypt, put in second in command, and given the task of administrating the whole kingdom, preparing for this famine. And we see that throughout all of this, Joseph gives glory to God and God alone. We see that in his as he interpreted the dream for Pharaoh, as he interpreted the dream for the cupbearer. And we see that. Everybody that Joseph comes into contact with, every word that Joseph is, there's blessing that comes. He's governing Potiphar's house, and blessing comes on Potiphar's house. He's governing the prison, serving the prison guard, and the whole prison is blessed. He serves Pharaoh, and all of Egypt is blessed. He serves God, and all of the world is blessed. And note how Pharaoh views Joseph. Pharaoh doesn't think to himself, wow, this guy's got some amazing skills. This guy's a great administrator. No, he says, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? 
Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? I mean, this is really weird because Pharaoh believed himself to be a god most likely. The Egyptians believed that he was divine. He probably believed in a multitude of different deities. But he senses that there's something different about Joseph. That God is with him. The Spirit of God is with him. Is that what people see in us? Is that what people say about us? He or she is filled with the Spirit of God. I sense something different about that person. That person has a different spirit with them, in them. Because just like Joseph, we have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And the Holy Spirit has given us different skills and different gifts that we can use to be a blessing to those around us. As believers, we're to be agents of God's blessing and God's healing in the world. We're called to care for the sick, for the orphan, for the widow. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Are we living as the salt of the earth? Are we living in such a way that when we act, when we beha- how we behave causes the world to give glory to God, to send something that is different? As a church, are we blessing those around us? Are we bringing life to a hurting and dying world? For us as individuals, God has given each and every one of us gifts and skills that He's given us to bring Him glory ultimately but also to be a blessing to those around us, both within the church and outside of the church. Now you might think to yourself, well, I don't don't think I have any gifts. I, I can't think of any skills that I have. I'm just an ordinary person. But y'all, everyone has gifts if you're a believer in Jesus. God has given you gifts. You say, well, like, I could never get up in front of people and give a message or I could never lead a small group or lead a Bible study. I could never share my faith with somebody else. Well, first of all, don't limit what God can do through you. I mean, if He could use a donkey to speak, I think He could use you to do whatever He wants you to do. But maybe God isn't calling you to get up in front of a group of people and speak. Maybe He's not calling you to lead a community group. Maybe He's not calling you to lead a Bible study. Maybe He's given you the gift of encouragement. Maybe he's calling you to write a note to somebody who you know is really suffering, who's really hurting. Maybe he's giving you the gift of mercy and he's calling you to go and visit people in the hospital who are struggling, who are sick. Maybe he's giving you the gift of administration and he's calling you to manage people, manage things in the church. God has given us each different abilities, different skills, all for the betterment of the body. And all for the blessing of the world. So how do we sum up the favor of God? God has given Joseph favor so that he could be a blessing to those around him. God blesses us so that we might bring life to those around us. It's the favor of God. He blesses us so that we might be a blessing. That's the whole goal of Israel. That through Israel, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And now through the church that we would be agents of blessing in the world. So we see the favor of God. And then we see faith. Now, 
Joseph was 17 when he was sold uh, into slavery into Potiphar's house. Um, and then it says in chapter 41 that he was 30 years old when he entered into the service of Pharaoh. So there's about 13 years that have overlapped where he has been either a prisoner or a slave. Remember how the Joseph story kind of started. He had some dreams, right? The first dream was the dream that uh, his brothers had these sheaves of, of wheat or grain. And the, his brother's sheaves of, gr- of grain or wheat bowed down to his sheave or grain of wheat. And then he had another dream that the sun, moon, and stars bowed down to him. And so that's kind of where the story started. Now we fast forward over 13 years. He's standing here before Pharaoh, and he's interpreting Pharaoh's dreams. And he makes a statement that I think is very interesting. He says to Pharaoh, And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that this thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. The fact that you have two dreams, Pharaoh, that are essentially the same, indicates that it's fixed by God and it's going to happen imminently. Now what's so interesting about that? Joseph also had a double dream. He had a double dream over 13 years ago. And his double dream hadn't been fulfilled yet. It hadn't come true yet. And yet he expresses faith and confidence in God. That if God has said it, if it's a double dream, then it's definitely going to come true. God is definitely going to bring this about. It's an amazing show of confidence and faith in God. Even though his dreams haven't come true yet, he expresses faith and confidence that that Pharaoh's dreams are going to come true. And I think he was kind of putting himself out on the line there. I mean, what if... He made this interpretation to Pharaoh and it didn't come true. He probably would be executed. But he has confidence and faith in God. He says, this is definitely going to happen. You better prepare for this. Even though he hasn't seen the fulfillment, he has confidence that God is going to bring about Pharaoh's dream. And I believe that his own dreams will one day come true. And it's ironic that through his expression of faith, through his expression of faith, ultimately that's the means by which his dreams do come true. See, as he expresses faith and confidence in God, as he tells Pharaoh, yes, this is fixed by God, this is going to happen, because of his interpretation, because of that faithful interpretation, it's through that and because of that that he's appointed second in command of all of Egypt. And it's through that that his dreams ultimately are fulfilled. I mean, imagine if Joseph would have responded to his dream and said, well, I think that your dream means this, but I had a dream a number of years ago, and it was kind of similar to this, and my dream never came true. So I, I think it means this, but I'm not really sure. Pharaoh would have said, you are just like my interpreters. You're just like my magicians. You don't really know what you're talking about. But Joseph has faith and confidence that God is going to act. And through his faithful interpretation, through his trust in God, his own dreams come true. God chooses to bless us through faith. 
He chooses to bless us through or in response to faith. Through Joseph's faith, his dreams ultimately come true. In his book, Our Greatest Gift, Henry Nguyen tells a parable about two twins, a brother and a sister, uh, who are still in the womb, in the mother's womb. The sister said to the brother, I believe that there's life after birth. Her brother protested vehemently, No, no, this is all there is. This is a dark and cozy place, and we have nothing else to do but to cling to the core that feeds us. The little girl insisted, There must be something more than this dark place. There must be something else. A place with light where there is freedom to move. Still, she could not convince her twin brother. After some silence, the sister said hesitantly, I have something else to say, and I'm afraid you won't believe that either. But I think there is a mother. Her brother became furious. A mother, he shouted. What are you talking about? I've never seen a mother, and neither have you. Who put that idea in your head? As I told you, this place is all we have. Why do you always want more? This is not such a bad place, after all. We have all we need, so let's be content. The sister was quite overwhelmed by her brother's response. For a while, didn't dare say anything more. But she couldn't let go of her thoughts. And since she only had her twin brother to speak to, she finally said, Don't you feel these little squeezes every once in a while? They're quite unpleasant and sometimes even painful. Yes, he answered. What's special about that? Well, the sister said, I think that these squeezes are there to get us ready for another place. Much more beautiful than this. Where we will see our mother face to face. Don't you think that's exciting? The brother didn't answer. He was fed up with this foolish talk of his sister and felt that the best thing would be to simply ignore her and hope that she would leave him alone. One focused on what he saw and one focused on the eyes of faith of what could be. Joseph could have focused on his circumstance. He could have focused on the dreams that he had and the fact that he's still been a slave and prisoner for 13 years. And he could have thought to himself, God is not going to come through. But he saw things with the eyes of faith. And he says, if God has proclaimed this, if God has shown me this, surely it's going to come true. Surely it's going to come about. So we see favor, we see faith. That God works through faith. He rewards faith. And then the last word is forgetting. Now there's a few references in this past on this theme of forgetting and remembering. In the first dream that Joseph or Pharaoh recounts to Joseph, he tells of, thin, of seven thin and ugly cows who devoured seven fat and healthy cows. And Pharaoh says that it didn't matter that the thin cows devoured the healthy cows because even after they devoured them, they were just as thin and just as unhealthy looking as when they started. And so Joseph interprets this and says there's going to be seven years of plenty but after those seven years of plenty, there's going to be seven years of famine. And those seven years of famine are going to be so bad that people forget about the seven good years. And it makes sense, right? If you have seven years of plenty and then you get to a point where you don't have anything to eat, it doesn't matter about the seven years of plenty. If you don't have anything to eat, you're starving. So that's the first time we see this theme of forgetting. But then after that, after Joseph is exalted to his position of second in command in Egypt, 
after he's given all this administrative oversight, he's given a wife and they have a child, and he names the child Manasseh, uh, which likely means something like forget or to cause to forget. And he says, and he, he says of this that he calls him Manasseh because God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. I mean, Joseph has been so, through so much suffering, so much hardship. But he says that God has blessed me so much that it's almost like all that hardship, it didn't even happen. It's kind of like what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be, to be revealed to us. Or what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our, 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 our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory behind, beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. I think back to my time in seminary. and uh, Seminary was a very good time, a very enriching time. But it was also a difficult time. You know, it involved a, a lot of cost, a lot of money to attend. It involved relocating to a new location. involved a lot of uh, insane amount of reading, a lot of work. And I remember going through seminary, and I sometimes wonder, am I going to make it? Am I going to pass? Am I going to be able to finish this? But then when I got to graduation and I was walking across the stage about to get my diploma, suddenly none of that mattered anymore. None of that work, none of that effort, none of that sacrifice, none of it mattered anymore because now I had graduated. Now I had received the prize. I think that that's a picture of what is true for us as believers. We all face trials in our lives. We all face difficulties. But when we experience the reality of God's blessing, it'll be so great that it almost makes us forget the hardship that we've gone through. I mean, you think about Paul, the Apostle Paul, and he experienced more than probably anybody in this room will ever experience. Shipwreck, stonings, abuse. It, the most terrible things happened to Paul. And he describes his suffering as a light and momentary affliction. A light and momentary affliction. Yes, it was terrible. It was serious. But he says, in comparison to what God is going to do, it's almost like it didn't even happen. It was nothing compared to God's blessing. Now, we don't always experience that blessing in this life. We often live lives of suffering in this life. But when we get to heaven, when we meet our Maker face to face, when He makes all things new, that blessing will be worth any amount of suffering that we could ever face. We'll forget almost about all the suffering. It'll almost be like it didn't exist. Forgetting. We see that God's blessing will make us forget our trials. 
So three words, three applications for this passage today. Favor. God blesses us so that we might be a blessing to those around us. God has given each and every one of us gifts so that we might be a blessing to those in our church family and also to the surrounding world. You see, faith, that God chooses to bless us through or in response to our faith. When we look at things through the eyes of faith and don't focus on only what we see, God chooses to bless us through that. And we see forgetting that God's blessing is so great and so marvelous that when we experience it, it will make us forget our trials and our troubles that we face. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the depth in your word, that in your word you show us the truth. We thank you that you show us uh, our heart motivations, that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, that it can show us the intentions and thoughts of our hearts. God, we pray for uh, us today. God, I pray that we'd be conformed more and more into your image that we would be people who are a blessing to those around us, that people would sense the Spirit of God that lives inside of us, that we would be life-giving, uh, a life-giving force in this world. We pray that we would live our lives through the eyes of faith, not focusing on what, our, what we see. And Lord, we pray that we would have the hope of eternity living in us, that we would have the hope that no matter what we face in this life, You've prepared something so far, so much greater than that. So much greater that this life seems like a light and momentary affliction. God, I pray that you'd apply these things to our hearts through your spirit. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.